0: Welcome to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, A Sure Calling by Brad Brady. For any further information about this message or the ministry of Consumed Church, check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. so as as pastor john said my last message last week was on uh being being refined going through the processes of god hearing hearing the promises of god hearing the hearing the call of god on your life and then what happens when things go in another direction and how god uses adversity in our life to change us into the people that the promise fits so that he can fulfill his word, his promise, and his call in our life. So it's really about knowing the ways of God. Knowing the processes of God. Because if you know the process, you can go through it, right? If you don't understand the process, it gets so difficult. Because you wonder, what's going on? What about these promises God's, God's made? If you understand the process, you can go through it. And so we're going to talk a little more about the... Uh, The ways of God today. Uh, My story is I got saved 1983, Tampa, Florida, just a few weeks after my 22nd birthday. And I had been addicted to just about everything and an alcoholic and had broken just about everything I touched. And when God came in my life for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a reason to be alive. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I, I, I realized that I had a destiny before I knew what it was. I had this sense of destiny and calling. I, didn't, I had a church background, but I didn't know anything. All I knew was all of a sudden there was a reason to be alive. You know? You remember? Right? We all have dreams and aspirations when we're young. Even children. Children have these big dreams of what they're going to be, and then this, this strange thing happens called life, and oh my gosh, other people, and you start running into things that start dimming that view, and start uh, turning the volume down on that word that you had. You know, I've I've said it up here before. It's been a few years. You know, you can go into a you can go into a first grade class. And ask all the kids, how many of you can sing and dance? How many of them will raise their hand? All of them. All of them. And then and then, uh, junior high, you ask the same group of people, how many of you can sing and dance? You're cut down at least half by that point. And then by the time you get in high school, there's just a couple of talented people and everybody else is just normal. Is that true? But is it true, or is it because they run into things in life that begin to tell them what they can and can't do? They hear other voices and stuff. So God's given us, God's given us these, these things in our heart. From, the, from, the, from When you were a child, you had dreams and visions. And then when you got born again, that just lit up, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden you realized I'm I'm here for something. You know God put that in there? He put that in there because he's planning on doing something with it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. So think about it. There are those things that you you really believed at one time that this is what God had for me. And maybe you haven't seen them happen yet. Maybe the volume's been turned a little bit down. Maybe the the vision's a little cloudy. We're going to talk about that today. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Among other things, here's what that means. He knew what was going to be the outcome of this. And for us, to, for us to have an understanding of calling and destiny and purpose in our life is part of what it takes to endure the hardship to get there. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, good. For the joy set before him, he, he, he endured the cross. Understanding, calling, and identity are key to being able to remain faithful as a disciple and walk through it. I know there's joy on the other side of this. He can redeem all things. Cause all things to work together for good. And that that's only the beginning. Come on. Pastor John and Alan have been talking to us about corporate identity and how the calling of, of your life is just a small part of coming into the calling as the body of Christ and fulfilling the kingdom of God in the earth. So it's bigger than me, but there is a part that I have to play, and there is a destiny on my life that's important for me to to pursue that, to pursue the reason to be alive. Nobody wants to live a meaningless life. You know, God God set it up where we, we, we don't get all of our nutrients from one place. There's some things you only get from the Word. There's some things you only get from encounters and intimacy with God. There's some things you only get through anointed leaders. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers to equip the saints. You know what that means? If you don't have those, you don't get equipped. And then there are things that we receive from brothers and sisters in the body. As each, Paul said, as each joint supplies, the body is built up. Quantity and quality. The the body is built up as each person gives what they have. Right? Right? So let me see a show of hands. How many of you have a burning desire to be the most average Christian you've ever seen? Nobody. Nobody. We all have this thing inside of us. I want my life to make a difference, don't you? I want to be on this planet for a reason. I want to make a mark. Why? Because God put that in us. That goes all the way back to the divine mandate. What did he tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion, make a difference, steward the planet, subdue the earth. That's a part of the God-given mandate put inside of us. That's not a bad thing. That is a great thing. What happens is when that doesn't get redeemed, we see what man does to other men in order to fulfill that thing that's in their heart that they don't even know God put there. And so men will do awful things to one another. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to subdue. They're trying to win. They're trying to overcome. They're trying to take. They're trying to do all the things that happens when the call of God doesn't get redeemed in your life. But God put that in your hearts. We all have a God-given desire to make a difference. And you know what? God's got bigger dreams for you than that. God's got a bigger calling on you than he, the Scripture says. He He wants to do abundantly more than you can even think. Not just more than you can ask. He wants to do more than you can even think. <laughs> so even in, even 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 the older among us, the Scripture says, in old age you will bear fruit. In old age you'll be green and full of sap. That's the promise of the Scripture. This is not for those that are just starting out. This is for all of us. There are things that sound, even as we sing in the song, there, there are things that were spoken long time past that we might have forgotten of. God, God knew what was happening when He said that. So, the name of my message today is called A Sure Calling. A Sure Calling. <laughs> Ephesians, familiar scripture. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. Listen to what I just said. You were created for good works. You were created for good works. And just you living your life shows God's workmanship. Just you living your life shows how brilliant God is at what he does. He prepared beforehand these things. We just kind of stumble along and walk right into them. And we do the things that he's already prepared. Y'all have heard me say before, my testimony, somehow by the grace of God, I keep falling in the right direction. Falling up, right? Somehow I keep falling up. And he prepared these things. My analogy I like to use is this. The kingdom of God is like a trail in a forest. And as you walk down the trail and turn the corner, there's another surprise. There's another treasure that God planted. And the only way I don't find them is to not walk down the trail. If I walk down the trail, I run into everything that he prepared already for me to walk into. 2 Timothy, Paul told him this, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. And it says this, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. If you want to write that down, that's 2 Timothy 1.9. God called us to a holy calling because of his purpose and in His grace upon our lives. Whew. Turn if you turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter. anybody got Bibles? I'm still the guy. Second Peter. I think every time I speak, I, I mention this scripture. Just about every time I speak, I probably do. You know the one: His divine powers granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That one. But think, I tell you what. What gets me? Anybody? Uh, anybody read the epistles of Peter lately? Just start and read them, front to back. Think about old Peter. Impetuous, ready, fire aim. So convinced. this is the guy who rebuked Jesus and told him he couldn't do what he he was here to do. Somehow or another, he takes a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Have you ever thought about that? How do you cut off just a guy's ear? (laughs) He's the one that said, I'll never deny you. The scripture says he cursed. I'm telling you, I don't know the man. And then you read the epistles, you realize this doesn't even look like the same guy that I... I read in the Gospels. This guy has changed. First Peter, I'm going to get there. First Peter, he's the one that said, he himself bore our sins on the body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. That's a great scripture. What he's actually talking about is being healed so that you can live to righteousness. Peter has all of these things that he talks about of living in righteousness, living in holiness, being different. And this is the guy, I think he had the same disease I had when I was young, foot and mouth disease. <laughs> but by the time you read his epistles, it looks like this guy is not even the same guy that you read about in the Gospels. That's just my opinion, but it gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> so Second Peter, he starts out with, you know, Simon Peter, servant apostle of Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, you have the same faith that we have. He literally says you have an equal faith. It's, it's worthy of equal honor. It's the same, I mean, uh, like precious faith is what the King James says. Equally privileged, equally honored, and equally valued. You got the same faith as we do. And then he says this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. Grace and peace multiplied in the knowledge of God. And then we get to verse 3. His divine calling has granted to us all things. How many? All things. Say it again. How many? All All things that pertain to life, all things that pertain to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire or love. That is is a ton of revelation there. He's given us every already given us everything that pertains to life, Zoe, the life of God. he's already given us everything that pertains to that. he's already given us everything that pertains to godliness. He called us d- depending on which which uh, version you read, some of them say he called us by his own glory and virtue. Some say he called us to his own glory and virtue. they're both right. He called us by his own excellence by his own glory, and then he called us to be a part, to walk in his own glory and his own excellence. This is a mouthful of stuff he's saying. He's called us to fellowship in his nature. How? By giving us promises. I said when I spoke uh, last month that uh, the primary purpose of the promises of God are to change us into his nature. It's not really material. There is that aspect to it, but as we, as we seek God, and seek to walk in that that he's given us to walk in so that we can represent him. Well, we're changed into his image. It's not about asking for stuff. It's about asking to fulfill the reason why I'm I'm put on this planet. And then he says this, you've already escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Past tense. It's already done. But how many of you know just because we have something in our account doesn't mean we necessarily know how to use it or spend it? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Just because I have it doesn't mean I know what to do with it. So, what's the next thing he says? Verse 5 For this very reason. For what reason? Because, I've already given you all, because he's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because he's already given us these promises that will change us into his nature. Because he's already freed us from the corruption that's in the world through lust. Because he's already called us to his own glory and excellence. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Verse 5. Make every effort. King James says... Um, Applying all diligence. That's the only place in the New Testament that phrase is used. I believe. Pretty sure. Applying all diligence means this. Carrying through with real personal energy. Real personal involvement. It means to be deeply involved in your own faith life. And the word diligence means to take the shortest path possible. It means to do it quickly. Here's what he's saying. God gave you an equal faith like ours, but that's not enough. You need to add something to it. Am I right? God gave you the same quality of faith we have. Now, here's what you need to do with that. You need to apply all diligence and add some things to it. We don't particularly like that in our... In our sphere of the kingdom, our sphere of Christianity, why? Because so many of us have been damaged by religion. So many of us have been trapped in legalism. So we tend to push back against things that say you need to do something. And what we're doing is we're pushing back against discipline. How can you be a disciple without discipline? Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He didn't say, I'd give you retirement. (laughs) We've talked about this in our meetings. Grace doesn't eliminate effort. It eliminates striving. Grace eliminates you walking in dead works and trying to do things to please God and do things to change yourself that aren't being empowered by the Holy Spirit and they produce death instead of life. But he didn't say do nothing. And, I, and and usually, it happened in my own life too. Usually when we come out of legalism, we swing the pendulum all the way over here to the other side. It says, oh, it's about grace. Don't challenge me. God did it all. Yeah, God did it all. But then he says this, you have a part to play to walk in the kingdom and partner with me and image your father. Agreed? I mean, think about, uh, think about James. James, y- y'all, y'all know the Jerusalem Council? Acts 15, where they get together with the apostles and they're having this argument because all of a sudden the Gentiles are starting to receive the gospel and the Jews are going, hey, you don't get in without the law. So James is the one that stands up and he makes the decision. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to write a letter. We're going to tell them, you don't have to do this. James. Same guy who said, uh, don't you know that faith without works is dead? You show me your faith without your, your, without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. He wasn't saying getting in legalism. He was saying is don't, don't think you can just have faith without anything else. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Okay, smile at me real big. So here's what he says. Applying all diligence, supplement. That word means to add to or contribute to. It actually comes from the word, it's used a lot in the New Testament. It comes from the word where, uh, you know, the major form of entertainment in those days was going and seeing a play. No movies, you know, not, we know, none of the electronics. So they would go see a play. And usually it was funded by one or two pretty wealthy people and they would put a lot of money in this thing to make this a big production. That's what that word means. It means adding and contributing your part so that the, the so that the final thing is accomplished, this thing ends up being something big. That's what it means. so apply all diligence, contribute your part to this so that it works out and accomplishes the goal that you had planned on it accomplishing now, my last message I talked about you remember uh I was talking about the the jews uh the people of Israel standing on the bank of the river and hearing the report of the giants. And the report of the giants wasn't wrong. It's just that their view of the giants became bigger than their view of God, and they said, we can't do this. And in that, I made this statement. I said this. What if we set our hearts on the promises of God in our lives instead of just working on our problems? Y'all remember that? I'm not saying the opposite of that now. I'm not saying, okay, work on your problems. What what the word is saying is contribute to your life of faith. Let God do his part and let God help you do your part. And we're still not working on our problems. What we're doing is we're adding to our faith. So what's the first thing he says? Applying all diligence, add to your faith virtue. The the word excellence. Actually, the the word moral excellence. The desire to do the best that you can. To be all you can be. He says, add to your faith this desire to be the best you can. Just like what Jesus said. There's a man who found a pearl and he went and sold everything that he had so he could get that one pearl. It's the one he had looked for his whole life. Man discovers a treasure in a field, goes and sells everything he has, and he buys that field. That's what virtue means. It means to live like that, to live like it's worth it, to to have a desire to put your all into this, to be morally excellent, to give it everything you've got. He said, add to your faith that desire first, and then add to that knowledge. What did he say before? He said, grace and peace gets multiplied in knowledge. He says, you receive all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge. So adding knowledge is important. We're a disciple, learner. So it means to learn more. Add to your faith, add to your belief, add to your confidence that God is who he said he is and God will do what he, what he did. Add to that the desire to be the best you can and then add to that more knowledge. He told Timothy, who he left in charge of a city to raise up a church, study to show yourself approved so that you can rightly discern the word. So add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, add to knowledge self-control. What good is it to know a bunch of stuff if it doesn't come out in the way you walk out your life? I've had people in in my life before, you probably all have. Their lives are a wreck, and they want to talk to you about theology. What difference does that make? What difference does it make about you believe what you believe in eschatology? If your Christianity is not walking out in the working out in the way you walk your life, who who cares what the ten plagues meant? Self control, mastery, or inner dominion. Y'all have heard this quote before, probably. No man is free who is not master of himself. No one is free who is not master of himself. This is the only one of this list of things that Peter says to add. This is the only one that's listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Excuse me, in the gift of the Spirit. There, there 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 is a gift of the Holy Spirit to give us the gift to be able to control ourselves. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit will control you. It says the Holy Spirit will give us the gift to control ourselves. If I don't have the desire to control myself, if I don't have virtue, that gift's not going to do me any good because it still depends on my will. It still depends on my choices, right? We're all tempted when we're led aside by our own stuff. So he says, take your faith and add to it the desire to be the best you can and then add to that knowledge and then add to that self-control and then add to that steadfastness. Why? Y'all know. We talked, I talked about it in my last sermon. Persevering through the adversity, right? It's what changes us into the character of God. Perseverance brings about character, character, hope, hope, doesn't allow you to be ashamed because the agape love of God has been poured out in your life. Why else do we have to endure in prayer? It means means to be able to remain under, to not give up when it gets hard. He says, we have to have the desire for that. We have to have the willingness for that and God will give us the strength to do it. And then add to that, Godliness. Scripture already said, I gave you all things that pertain to life and godliness, but you need to add this in. Here's one one definition. An inner response to the things of God which shows itself in piety or reverence. It means to have a godly heart response to things. Right? Have, have, Have you not been through times in your life where You get get reminded of some spiritual thing and you go, "Ah, I don't worry about that right now. I have. I've gotten dusted off and cooled off a few times. But part of godliness is this. I care about the things of God. But you can look at my life and tell I'm a child of God by the way I walk my life and the decisions that I make. I have a godly heart response, not just behavior on the outside, but on the inside. I'm diligent to, make my, to, 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 try, to, to try to keep my heart tender and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Not get hardened. Like, like scripture talks about, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To not get hardened. To keep the, the right heart response. That's where godliness comes from. comes from my heart. And add to that brotherly affection. It doesn't mean I like you a lot. It means I understand that I'm not just here for me, I'm here for you as well. We, how many times have you ever really heard anybody preach well the scripture that says, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. I don't, I don't think I've heard a sermon about that in 20 years. I have, I'm sorry, I forgot. John, if you preach that, sorry. It means living my life in a community and living my life for other people, preferring one another. I have a heart connection with you and I care what happens to you. I'm not bothered by your needs. I care about you. Paul said, Christ died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves. And so y'all see this progression that happens in your life. How the guy that wrote this doesn't look like the same guy that we see wiping off ears with a, with a sword and telling Jesus he doesn't know what he's doing. From brotherly kindness comes agape. Sacrificial, unconditional, unoffendable love. I choose to love you because of who you are And I'm not going to change my responses to you just because you change your responses to me. Greater love, what? Than to lay down your life. So I'm going to to love you no matter what. You got the same kind of faith we have. Now here's what you need to add to it. Verse 8, 2 Peter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities, the word qualities is kind of written in there, so it actually goes like this. For if these are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. So he talks about grace and peace come through knowledge, life and godliness come through knowledge, but it's possible to be unfruitful and idle in that. Literally the word lazy. To be barren to not bear fruit. It's possible to do that. So he says, if these are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. That is huge. If you don't have these things growing in your life, you're, you're seeing dimly now. You can't even see far off. Matter of fact, that goes on long enough, you lose all spiritual perception. You go blind in the spirit. And why? Because you forgot. You forgot you've been purged from your sins. Not forgiven, purged. You've had your sins removed from you. And sometimes, we all know, sometimes just temptation and dealing with temptation and fighting with with things that we fight as humans can really start knocking us for a loop. I've been through times of that in my life where I, I, I forgot. I don't, I don't feel like a new creature. I can't, you can't forget that. You've, you've already been set free from the corruption that's in the world through lust. We've already been made new creatures. All things new. All things new. Don't forget, you weren't just forgiven. Your are purged. Your sins have been removed from you. Therefore, verse 10, therefore, because I said all of this stuff, I'm not going to go through it all again. Therefore, be all the more diligent, here it is, to confirm your calling and election. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, what a statement, you will never fall. You will never stumble. This is Peter who fell all over himself all the time. He said, if your life is like this, you will, the the word is never, ever. You will never, ever fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is he talking about going to heaven? No. The kingdom of God is wide open. Kingdom of God is within you. The king, Jesus said, the Kingdom of God's right here. You can reach out and touch it. He's not just talking about, but if you do all of this, you go to heaven. He's talking about if you do all this, you get to walk in the kingdom and subdue and have dominion and be a and, and walk stewarding the planet with God. I'm sorry, that might not be the right choice of words, but do y'all hear what I'm saying? Yes. You get to fulfill your calling. You get to walk in those things that God called you to do. You get to be a part of This kingdom that never stops increasing. How does it increase? It it increases through his spirit working through his people. The kingdom never stops increasing. It doesn't say it never stops. It says it never stops growing. And how does it grow? Through it. Jesus is still incarnate. He still walks the planet. He does it in you. He does it in me. Now he said better for you that I go away. I don't have to be in one place. I can be all over the world. And he says, if you live this way, there's this wide open door for you to walk in the kingdom. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and elections sure, to confirm your calling. Here's what that word means. To walk where it is solid. Sure enough to walk on, unshakable, absolutely dependable, worthy of your confidence. You can be confident that I'm called. You can be confident that I have been chosen. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. That's what the word election means. You've been chosen. Calling means you've been invited. You you have a personal invitation from the Father. You've been picked out, chosen, selected. So what you can do is you you can be sure in that. where you're you're not double-minded, you're not shaken, where that thing is solid and confident in your life and you can be sure of it, and that will give you the ability to walk through the things that you walk through until you see those things developed in your life. I'm solid about that. When I get stirred up about things, I remember, God, you said some things to me. You called me to some things. Right now, it looks like I'm off on B. I've, I've taken side B and slid off the other way. Michael Brodeur talks about diligence like this because part of it means to be speedily. It means to take the shortest route. Michael Michael Brodeur talks about it like this: the 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 path of God in our lives is like a multi lane highway, and we have the opportunity to get in fast lane and just go, but we keep passing these on ramps and off ramps and we take a little off-ramp, the next thing you know, we're stuck in this little business community or we're stuck in this little residential community. We're stuck in this... He doesn't say this. This is my words. You're stuck in this kind of little broken down thing. But God's good enough to give us on-ramps again. And we get on again, and we make our way over to the fast lane, and we just take off again. That's what it means to apply diligence. So he says, Therefore be all the more diligent to make solid, confident, this calling that you have, this election that you have. You have been picked out. You have been chosen. And if you do that, you'll never, ever stumble. Look at this scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human may ever boast in the presence of God. I'm going to read that again. It's 1 Corinthians 126. Consider your calling. Consider your invitation that you were given. That is a holy calling that was given to you by the purpose of God. He says, you weren't wise, you weren't noble, you weren't powerful. God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. God chose the lowly and despised things. You know what that means? I'm qualified. So are you. God knew exactly what he was getting when he called you. He knew exactly what he was getting. Because when he changes us and conforms us into the image of his son, everybody goes, that's got to be God because you're not that good. Is that right? He knew, he knew exactly what he was getting when he called us. He's not surprised by our brokenness. He's not surprised by the shame that we carry. He's not surprised by our weakness. <laughs> it means, those words chose, here's what it means. A highly deliberate choice. He picked out for himself is what that means. He picked out for himself the things that are weak. He picked out for himself the things that are foolish. He picked out for himself the things that are despised. He knew exactly what he was doing. We can have confidence. In the middle of my stuff, I can have confidence. I have been chosen, yeah, right? John, he, Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordains you that you should go and bear fruit. You've been called. You've been, you have an inv- a personal invitation, and he chose you with a highly deliberate choice. And so what it is sometimes is our responsibility to make that calling and election sure. And Peter tells us how to do it. You got to add some things to your faith. Everybody encouraged? Yeah. <laughs> So look at Isaiah 61, a a different landing place. This wasn't the runway I was looking for. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. Who are the poor? Those those who are weak and needy and don't have any resources to do anything about their life. That's me. Don't have any ability to change my life. I don't have any resources. I'm just broken and poor and needy. And he says, the anointing of Jesus comes and preaches great news to that person. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those inner wounds. Now that's important. We talked about it up here before. Where do you believe? You believe in your heart. You don't believe up here. You think up here. You believe up here. That's why the scripture says, guard your heart. So he comes to bind up the brokenness in our heart, which changes the way we believe. It heals us from all these inner brokennesses that we have and all of these things that come from growing up in this world with other people that crushes the the things that we have in our life, the desire, the aspirations that we have, busts all that down and just turns us into broken people. He binds all that up again and and he gives us the ability to believe different. That's what that means to me. To proclaim liberty to the captives and opening a prison to the bound. We've talked about this before. A captive is somebody who is captive because somebody has done it to them. A prisoner is somebody who's probably paying for something that they did. He provides freedom for both. doesn't matter whether I got there on my own or I got there because of something someone else did. There's still freedom. To comfort how many who mourn? All. To comfort all who mourn. Now this is the next part verse 3 to grant those who mourn in Zion what what is Zion Come on lots of meanings it's a place it's a place in Jerusalem it's the people of God the Jewish people of God and the believers as well right He says he comes to comfort those who mourn the people of God who mourn and listen to this to give them Beautiful headdress instead of ashes is, uh, that's actually the correct translation. It means to give you an ornate turban instead of, you remember they used to throw ashes in their hair to represent their brokenness and their loss? He says, I'll take that away and I'll give you a beautiful ornate headdress. Beauty for ashes. We used to sing a song years ago uh, that a local pastor wrote a worship leader, and it said this, I put off the garments that I once used to wear, prison clothes of confusion and despair. He has clothed me with the robes of righteousness, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes. So that's what he does. He gives us beauty for ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. There's a transfer. Beauty instead of ashes the oil, the anointing to walk in gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise, being clothed with the praise and the goodness of God instead of being out of life and out of energy and faint in heart. That they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now listen to this. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Who is they? Who's he talking about? The same people that were poor. The same people that were broken-hearted the same people that were captive, the same people that are bound. He says, those are the ones who are going to reverse all this. The very same ones that were so broken and so so miserable and so poor are the same ones that are going to raise up all the old waste places and all the places that have become desolate, even to the point of restoring cities. That is a promise of Scripture. And who's it talking about? Those who mourn in Zion. Same people do all of this. Raise up the devastations of many generations. That's what we're called to do. That's the reason why Peter's saying, hey, listen, you got faith, but there's some things you need to add to it because this is where we're going. We're going from the loud mouth disciple to the guy who can write stuff like that. Just like the things I was talking about last week, we're going to this snotty-nosed kid who can't have his mouth shut to a guy who ends up over the most powerful nation of the world in a day. By understanding the processes of God and going through the processes of God and embracing what God has done and being willing to live as a disciple and embrace what he wants us to do and putting effort in our lives because here's the promise, we're gonna raise up generations of things that have been destroyed. That's what the scripture says. Matthew around. The guitar playing Matthew. (laughs) Matthew in the back raises his hand. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Scripture says that God is going to restore all of this stuff. How's he going to do it? Now we talk, Matthew and I were talking about this earlier this week. We pray for revival. What are we praying for? A lot of times what we're praying for really is we're praying for God. Would you come down and do something in me so I can finally do what you've called me to do? You can curl your toes if you want to. That's me. Sometimes what we're praying, we, we, we pray for this million, this billion people harvest, Right? What's going to happen with that? It seems like we think that God's just going to come down and all of a sudden make us available to do what he's promised us that we could do already. Uh, there's one song that I really dislike. There's a few. There's one that I really dislike. The song that's got the line in it that says, we need another Pentecost. No, we don't. The first one was perfect. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's filled us with his spirit. And sometimes because of the brokenness of our old lives and our inability to walk out of that, we lose sight that we've got a calling and an election upon us. That he's called us and he's given us the the uh, his anointing and what that anointing does is it takes care of our brokenness and our poverty and it takes care of the captivities in our lives and stuff and then he's going to use the same people that live like that to restore all of the generations of damage that have That's been right. done in the earth. That's what revival is. Yes. Uh, it's, I, I'm, it, it's, uh, I know it's not a complete definition, but my definition of revival is when I just start doing what God's already promised me that I could do. Right. So there's some of us here, including me, I promise you I'm preaching to myself. There's some of us here that just need to kind of make a decision in our hearts again. Lord, I've been sitting around waiting for you to do something when I've got a responsibility in my own life. There's lots of other scriptures just like this one. We know them. We've heard them before. And sometimes in our brokenness, sometimes in our woundedness by religion and legalism, we bail out the other side and go, it's all about God. And then what we do is we get out of the fast lane, we get off the highway, we take an off-ramp, and we end up sitting down here just doing, not growing. Not, not, not taking part in what we can do to, to, to allow God to fulfill what He promised He would fulfill in our life. So let's stand and pray, please. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so there's some of us that needs to say, God, Simeon and I went through a major repentance a few years ago. A major repentance where we just realized that we had been living a life of waiting because we felt like we were unqualified. And we were just sitting there waiting for God to do something to make us qualified so that we could do what we knew he had called us to do. Well, the scripture says we're already qualified. The problem wasn't with God doing something. The problem was with us coming to faith and believing what He said already. And He gave us a a revelation of that and we repented and said, God, we're not waiting anymore. I'm still, God's still doing some stuff in my life. I'm not there. But there's some of us that need to repent for just waiting and, and not taking active part in our own lives. For not selling everything to get that pearl of great price are not getting rid of everything to buy that field. And then there's some of us that have just been broken down so much by our own brokenness and not healed by that that we don't need to hear a message that sounds like get it together. We need to be reminded there's an anointing to heal that. The anointing of Jesus flows today exactly like it did when He walked on the earth. hasn't lost an, an ounce of power. Thank you for listening to the Consume Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumechurch.com slash give.